Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Ryan Archie Daff, Knockout, the Bulls HQ podcast. All the way from Australia. We represent and thanks for all the support. Fans, welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Bulls HQ. Another loss, and just seemingly whenever I get to do a Bulls podcast, like it, it's, it's always coming after a loss for whatever reason. I don't know if I'm the jinx in that in that scenario, or if the Bulls just uh, are a average basketball team who like losing games than when I'm, I'm when I'm watching. Whatever the scenario is, it's very very annoying having to podcast straight after after Bulls basketball games and we are coming at you straight after the Bulls. Just got absolutely pantsed by the Utah Jazz, which wasn't totally surprising, but at the same time, uh, very deflating. And I'm very thankful in in those situations when the Bulls do get well and truly beat that I have some guests on to help me sort of digest and go through what we've just witnessed. So uh, I want to bring in my guests for today. So these two lads uh, have recently started their own Bulls uh, Bulls podcast. If you're not catching Bulls 101, then I strongly suggest you do so. But these guys are on all your audio platforms. They're even doing their show on YouTube. Uh, I want to welcome in Laro Golden and Chris Amundsen from Bulls 101. Boys, how are you guys going? Yo, 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 yo. How you doing, man? How you doing? Thanks for having us on, man. No problem, mate. I, I've, I've been meaning to get you guys on because uh, I wanted to do this pretty much from the uh, from the minute you guys said you you guys wanted to launch into the Bulls podcasting world, which is very interesting timing on your on your behalf. I think you guys were what, three weeks into it. So um yeah, welcome welcome to Bulls Podcasting. We're particularly with this team is sort of losing all these games. But um yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh like I said, I want to talk Bulls, I want to get your insight because uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy watching your show because you guys go to a level of analysis that uh, I don't think many others do. Um, which is why I wanted to get you on and get your takes about the Bulls, specifically, you know, what we've seen over the last week in terms of win losses, those sorts of things. But given that we're literally a couple of days away from the NBA trade deadline and this team seemingly having to make some decisions, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting time to be a Bulls fan, to be a Bulls podcaster, all that sort of stuff. So, Lara, maybe I can swing to you first, mate. I mean, what have you seen over the last week of Bulls basketball? I mean, they can't beat the good teams. They beat the bum teams. Um, how does that dictate what they're going to do with the trade deadline? Maybe you can just give me your high-level thoughts of uh, where your mind is at uh, with the Bulls, and then we can, uh, you know, Chris can share us, share his thoughts on that too. Uh, first of all, man, I appreciate you uh, saying high-level, brother. I, I appreciate that. Um, but uh, for me, I mean, today, uh, you know, before we get to today, I'll go go before. So, I mean, what we've learned, at least from my po- uh, point of view, is that. This team is – they are missing pieces, which we already know, um, and it's been frustrating. I mean, even against teams that we should beat, that you play down to their level, um, really the only person you can really trust on is Zach. Um, he's been kind of the most consistent player outside of, like, Thad. Um, and what, we, what we're learning is, slowly but surely, is that we're just not ready. We're not ready. We need to add more pieces. Um, we we have a team that's just so just flawed. Um, 
and it's just been really frustrating. Um, and to 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 go off of that, uh, I'll fast forward to tonight. Is tonight you really saw um, the difference between the levels? You know, Utah being the high level, and us. I mean, I can't even say what level we're at because it's almost like we're bum slayers. We beat the teams that are really bad. And then when we see the teams like the Jazz, we're just out of the – we're nowhere near that league. And it's frustrating um, mostly because you get put in a situation where um, you, you you won't be able to get a good pick because you're good enough to beat the bad teams. And then you're just not good enough to have some type of – Opt, optimism to go into the playoffs and maybe make some noise or or gain some uh, experience for the young guys. Um, and I mean, my thoughts are a little bit all over the place. Um, so I mean, no, that, I mean, that, look, that makes sense given that the team is literally all over the place. I mean, <laughs> one day you're feeling good about them, and look, I, I fall victim to this all, all, all the time. Like I, I think I had a podcast last week where I was talking about how. You know, I was pleased with how they performed against the Raptors in OKC and, you know, given, you know, it was a small sample size against teams that were playing depleted lineups, but, you know, you, you sort of fall into the rhythm of these games, your mood gets swung by the, the rhythm of these games and, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they win, you feel good, they lose, they, you feel bad, your whole world is imploding and you're wondering what the hell is meant to be happening. But I don't know, I think I think we've reached the point now where we've got 40-odd games of, well, 44, I think it is, or 42 games of data at this point to suggest this team is beating the teams that they should, which is good, which is, I, I guess, a step forward, but they really can't compete against the teams that are above them. And not that I was expecting them to beat the Utah Jazz, like in, in isolation, this loss is whatever, but... Maybe in, in culmination with what we saw against the Spurs last week, then the Nuggets on Friday night, like two just two games that should have been W's that ultimately turned into uh, losses because this team just can't execute. Like that's where my frustration is, and I don't know. I guess because of all that, like they have to do something substantial. I think at the deadline, I, I don't know how you can sort of go through the motions and do. Not much else, or keep this team beyond the the, the deadline. But I, I don't know how you feel about it, Chris. But I mean, I'm assuming you feel similarly to to myself and Lara. It, it kind of feels like most of the fan base feels like that at this point. But um, what are your thoughts, mate? Well, if I could be the voice of optimism, hopefully here for a minute, because I know it's depressing to come on a podcast right after a loss like this, guys. <laughs> and you're right. We should be beating the bad teams. We weren't even there last year. We couldn't even beat the bad teams last year. This year, we've upped a level. We're beating the bad teams. Haven't beat those good teams. But for the most part, you know, this this loss aside, most of the games that we've been in against good teams, you know, we've been up or we've been in it the whole game until the end. Now, obviously, the, the Lake execution has been pretty, pretty bad. But it's kind of expected. You know, we, we, we know and also AK and Eversley know that this team really, really needs a point guard. They really need an organizer. So I don't know how much we should be surprised that we're driving a car without a steering wheel and we're getting mad when there's bumps in the road and we're veering off course. It's You need that steering wheel. You need the organizer of your offense to keep things going. Lowry, as we know, is, is, a, is a player who needs who needs things set up for him, and he can exceed in that, in that way. Um, you know, Wendell is, is in that same boat. Kobe needs someone to handle the ball so he can focus on what he's good at. So a lot of our young guys and the disappointment that's come with them I think has a lot to do with the fact that we really haven't found the driver of our offense. Zach's taken a, a huge leap. So, I mean, I, I really want to be positive here because we're in it. We're right in it. And that's why those losses against Denver and the Spurs and some other ones this year have been so devastating because you can see the team running well sometimes and for long stretches and they just can't get it done at the end. And, and that's where I think – I don't think it's time necessarily to panic. Uh, you know, we're not – I think I see a lot of Bulls fans on Twitter and Discord and, and other places that are just like, blow it all up, trade all the young guys, you know, we suck, uh, doom and gloom. But I really don't think it's that bad. I think we're moving in the right direction, but not fast enough to where we really want to go right now. And with the draft coming up, I, I get it. I get the frustration here because, as you mentioned – we're not bad enough to get a really good draft pick, but we're not good enough to make any noise in the playoffs and feel like we're actually making progress. But I think this deadline is going to be a good um, a good first test, if you will, for, for AK and Mark Eversley 
to show us what they think of the roster because we really haven't seen it up to this point. Yeah, I mean, all fair points, and I definitely appreciate you balancing my negative takes at the moment with some some level of optimism. So I appreciate that, but at the same time, like, are the Bulls maybe the Bulls play forty five, forty two, forty three minutes of good basketball because the pressure during those first forty two to forty three minutes of the game aren't extreme, let's say, whereas like we saw against the Spurs, like we saw against the Nuggets, or even like the the Jazz tonight where it just wasn't competitive for a large portion of the game. Like the minute the the minute the pressure is just amplified just that little bit more, this team really reverts back to those bad old habits. And I guess like you said, like part of it is just due to the fact that they just don't have enough experience on the floor, don't have enough capable uh ball handling, don't have someone out there to really lead the ship when the execution Errors just start piling up, which is again like the, and that was a theme last season. They just couldn't, they just couldn't execute. It's been a theme to some degree this season as well. So it, it's certainly structural, it's certainly roster based, and you know maybe if there, that lead creator was here in Chicago, things would just be better organized or a little bit neatly more organized. The hierarchy would sort of settle a little bit more, a little bit more nicely, let's say. But we kind of already knew that coming into the season. Which again, you're right in saying that, but like. Given that we've gone this far, like it, it kind of is important at this point for for someone like AK, Mark Eversley, etc., to really target that type of guard if you can actually get your hands on that type of guard at this deadline for a number of reasons, which I've gone over on this podcast. I'm sure you guys, well, I know you guys have covered it on your show as well, but like I guess I'm at the point mentally where I've seen enough. Like the team is nine and twenty, nineteen and twenty three. They're, they've got the Cavs on Wednesday night, then after the trade deadline, or the trade deadline happens on Thursday, then post the trade deadline, they have a really, really difficult nine-game stretch. And I'm just going to read these these games out in terms of what the schedule is coming up. But post the deadline, they've got uh, eight road games, eight out of nine games are on the road. So the first four are at San Antonio, at Golden State, at Phoenix, at Utah. Then they come home to play the Brooklyn Nets before going on, on the road again for a five-game stand, actually. So it's at Indiana, at Toronto, at Atlanta, at Minnesota, at Memphis. So like that 10-game stretch is, is rough. And I guess I'm at the point mentally where I've seen enough to suggest that this team, as currently constructed, Maybe they get into the plane just because the East is so terribly bad, but I'm I'm starting to think about next season already. I'm starting to think about how we can maximise Zach Levine's prime at this point because I don't know what else there is really to get out of this season going forward. So to me, this trade deadline is I won't say it's make or break for AK because like that 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 is too extreme. But like I, the positivity, the um. The good graces of, that I've given kind of shows up until this point. Like, if we go past this deadline and nothing happens, um, I don't know, I don't know if I can be an optimist like you are, uh, Chris. So, I don't know how you feel about that, Laro. Maybe I can bring you to my dark side over here. <laughs> but, um, how are you feeling about, like, if we get to the deadline and AK does nothing, let's say, how would you as a fan, as a podcaster, how, how would that sit with you? Um, for me, right? So, Optimist side. Okay, if AK doesn't make a move, okay, well, this is a season where it's weird. Team, the, the play-in uh, games have given teams this false hope uh, that they can make the playoffs, so they don't want to make a move. So it's been, it would be tough to make a move. And then the other side of me is like, there's no way, after you've seen what you've seen, that you couldn't find a way to make a move. Like, there's no way you need this long of an uh, an evaluation on these certain players that we have. Like, th- there's nothing to me that shows that with these last however many games that are left, that something's going to change. Like, nothing is showing me from Lowry that, oh, man, he's rebounding better. He's a better team defender. He's adding stuff to his game. Not really. Kobe, people always say, you know, first year as a point guard is always always tough. That's very true. But usually when you have a strength, you lean on that strength until you maximize your weaknesses. And right now his scoring is not being maximized. It's very inconsistent. Um, His defense is still porous. He can't really stay in front of anybody. 
Um, Otto, uh, he's, you know what, I can't be bad. I can't be super mad on Otto because I feel like he's starting to get his legs back. He's starting um, to get his wind back. He's starting to play a little bit better. He's getting more lift on his jump shot. So I'm kind of optimistic that he's going to start playing better and more consistently. Um, And, I mean, out of that bunch, man, like it's just tough to say for AK to come out sit in front of the cameras and talk to certain people that are asking them questions and say, you know what, guys, we're not making a move or we just we couldn't make the move. We couldn't make any moves. Like, how do you – what message is that sending to Zach? You know, like, Zach is out there trying to put this team on his back and hoping that something happens. Like, obviously, Zach's not going to be down in his teammates and saying you guys are horrible and none of that. He's going to keep that inside and be a great teammate. But you got to know that Zach is probably going home, talking to his wife, talking to his dad, talking to his friends. Like, guys, like, I don't know what else I can do. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know, man. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's tough, man. That, that, that's, ex- that's at least how I feel about that situation. Yeah, I definitely – I think we're aligned in that sense. But, like, Chris, like, I mean, AK made those comments around, you know, they're being delusional teams right now who maybe think they can get into the playing tournament, who maybe want to be buyers at the deadline, but maybe should be sellers. And I keep coming back to that comment, and I wonder if that comment that comment is going to come back to buy AK in the event that they do nothing, or if, you know, they make, even if they make a move on the periphery, but don't necessarily change the structure of the actual rotation. I wonder if that comment's going to to come back to bite him in the ass somewhat. So, I mean, how how are you feeling about this notion of whether the Bulls should be buyers, should they be sellers? I mean, just specifically what we've seen over the last week where we've seen them beat up on on a bad Raptors team, a bad OKC team, a bad Pistons team, but then, you know, lose in embarrassing fashion to actual good competitive teams. Like, is he delusional in some senses if he uh, doesn't make any move of sorts? I can see it kind of both ways here as well, just because the the guy that we really need, which is that veteran facilitator, isn't really available here at the trade deadline, in my opinion. I mean, unless it's Kyle Lowry, but I, I really don't think he's interested in coming to our team versus another team like Miami or Philadelphia. Yeah. So in that sense, if you're looking for a long-term solution at point guard or at the creator position, if you will, I don't think you're going to find that the deadline. So in that sense, I don't really expect AK to make a move to address that position or to address that flaw. But I do think mm-hmm. you can find long-term pieces that can fit going forward uh, at the trade deadline or, or be creative with, with trades. I mean, for example, if something I was thinking about today, if Miami wanted to get in on Kyle Lowry, they got to move out some salary and Kelly Olynyk, Andre Iguodala, and Goran Dragic, those are guys that, that have, you know, decent contracts that maybe we could pluck one of those guys and, and help our, you know, either our point guard position, our small forward, or our center, uh, all three of which we've had issues with throughout the season. So I think the AK can be creative, and there's opportunities there at the trade deadline. And I think we're in a really good spot as far as what kind of array of contracts that we have to be able to facilitate deals. So I think the opportunities are there. It's probably not going to be to to bring in a point guard because I just don't think that one's available. And maybe not even this offseason unless Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, his, his recovery goes really well and he's ready to, you know, contribute. It's it's uh, it's kind of a tough proposition. But if he doesn't – so if he does nothing, okay, I can kind of understand. But somewhat – some part of me will definitely be disappointed because at least for me we've seen the evaluation – at this point of Lowry. And while he has, I think, great value on his current contract, the the proposition of paying him, you know, Berton's money or more is has made me a little nervous and I would maybe start to question his basketball acumen if if he thought that Lowry was worth that kind of contract. And so I would I would expect something to happen. And we've also got these guys in, you know, the the twelve through fifteen spots on our roster that really aren't adding a whole lot that I think he could move and bring in some other guys, even if it's, you know, a buy low prospect like Troy Brown Jr. Or maybe we can get it on Cam Reddish, who's had another tough year, something like that where we can buy low on a candidate and use our, you know, our our facilities and our, our player, you know, pro player, quote unquote, 
uh, development staff to, to help these guys out. So I, I, th- I feel like they need to do something. They need to switch it up somehow, although I, I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to find a lot of long-term solutions at that creator spot in the deadline. Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. And I guess the name that most Bulls fans have on the, uh, the tip of their tongue is Lonzo Ball. But to your point, and I don't know, maybe you agree with me on this, but I mean, Lonzo Ball is an elite creator. He's a smart basketball player, obviously can create, can create on possessions, but you know, probably hasn't turned out to be like that natural facilitating point guard that a lot of people thought he might be when he came into the draft. Obviously, very smart player, can create plays, amazing in transition, but it's probably, I guess, because it's just due to the fact that he's not necessarily a huge half-court threat beyond his catch-and-shoot shots, that he's not going to go in the lane and, you know, start dishing like Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry or any other insert, insert any, uh, you know, traditional type point guard who can create plays for others at a pick-and-roll type thing. Lonzo isn't that type of player, but he is the type of player that the Bulls should be targeting. So, I don't know, like, Laro, is that... Is it even realistic at this point for the Bubbles to actually land someone like Lonzo? I know Kevin Kevin O'Connor on the ringer had a report that the Bulls were actively chasing Lonzo Ball. I mean, he mentioned the Atlanta Hawks too. I think Zach Lowe was it today or someone else at least had a, had a report that uh, the Denver Nuggets are interested in Lonzo Ball as well. So there's seemingly a market for Lonzo, but... I don't know if the Bulls can get in on that. I'd love to see that happen just because I, I want to see the Bulls acquire good two-way smart players, which Lonzo is. He doesn't solve all the problems that, that Chris sort of know just below, but or just before rather. But in terms of your expectations, uh, the likelihood of Lonzo being a Bull post the uh, Thursday deadline, do, do you think it's likely? Do you think it's unlikely? How are you uh, feeling about that one? Um, I believe... I don't want to sound like the guy, but I believe it's 50-50, right? And why I say that is, is I feel like just like just the snippet that we got from AK and his presser that he did, um, it sounds like he was active in making calls, and that's why he made that comment about teams being delusional. There's no way he would know that if he wasn't talking to GMs or anything like that. So um, I believe we could make that uh he could be a part of this team. I really do think they can make a push for it. I, I honestly feel like a change, like this sounds bad, but I'm not a Kobe hater. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I think like maybe putting Kobe in Here the deal go. now is, is, has, can enter it. You know, you can, you can now put Kobe in that thought of like, okay, you know what? If they want Kobe, take him. But like, this is my thought on Lonzo and his creation and things like that on offense. Like, if you're expecting Lonzo to be like, you know, a Luca and handle the ball and all of the offense is on his shoulders, uh-uh, I don't, I don't believe he can do that. But if yeah. you, if you, if you look at the type of offense that we're running, you know, insert Lonzo into what the way we're using Kobe, and I, I, I truly believe he can do what they're trying to get Kobe to do. Um, I believe Kobe, I mean, I believe Lonzo is a pretty good pick and roll player. I believe he understands how to read defenses. He understands how to go against drop coverage. He understands reading the, the tag man and, and, and he, his passing ability is there and his shooting ability we starting to see is, is getting there. So it's, I, I, I understand that like, there's some skepticism about his creation, but I do believe in the offense that Billy wants to run. He can be good in it. And now if we were, like I said, now if we were expecting him to be like his brother, younger brother or, or Luca or, or any of those, or those guys, then we have a problem. Then we're, we're ha- our aspirations for him are maybe a little bit too high or expectations, I should say. So, but I do believe he can be effective in the offense that Billy wants to run a lot of ball movement, uh, a lot of pin down stuff for Zach. If you can just get Zach off the ball and and allow a you know you know uh, Lonzo to 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 bring the ball up, protect the ball, not turn the ball over, and just allow Zach to roam off free. And heck, maybe if we do keep Kobe in a deal and we somehow get Lonzo, I do believe Kobe can be more effective off the ball, not asking him to do some of the things that they're asking him to do. So I mean. I'm optimistic. I think we can be in that deep. I, I think we can get him. I do. 
Look, I'm not going to lie, Lara. I was kind of hoping I could uh, bring you over to the dark side whilst Chris is, you know, on the on the light side, let's say. <laughs> but uh, you're, you're falling. You're, Chris has got too much of a hold on you, I think. Too much of an influence on you. But um, look, I know. I, I, I think you, I, <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. But um, I take your point. I take your point. And look, at this point, I think the Bulls should just be. They should just be like just trying to acquire, like I said, good, smart players, guys who lift the baseline of this team, which obviously Lonzo would do. Obviously, if you were, you're acquiring acquiring Lonzo, then you're, you're you're acquiring with you know with the hope of maybe bringing him back on uh, on some sort of deal beyond this season, given he's a restricted free agent. Which is why, from a Bulls point of view, it would make sense to maybe just switch him and Lowry and. Uh, given that they both are restricted free agents coming up. But, uh, look, I can't imagine the Pelicans being interested in Lowry Markkinen. I don't know if any other teams are going to be interested in Lowry, but he is seemingly the player where I keep coming back to as to where the biggest decision is this week. I mean, we can talk about trading Kobe. We can talk about trading Wendell, Otto, Sato, whoever it might be. And, look, there's reasons for why that may make sense for each of those singular players as to why it may make sense to deal them. But... The time is effectively ticking on Larry Markkinen like it isn't with someone like Kobe or Wendell. That isn't to say those guys are long for Chicago, but I, the fact that Larry is literally, you know, maybe playing the last 30-odd games of his career in Chicago, assuming he makes it past this deadline, there is a clock ticking for Larry like it's not for others. So, I don't know, like, what signal does it send, Chris, if Larry is here post the deadline? I mean, I would assume that, to me at least, it feels like they value Lowry highly if they can't necessarily move him uh, and try to get some value to him. Of course, naturally, they can maybe try to organize a sign and trade or maybe just sign him and try to trade him at a latter point. But to your eyes, at least, like if the Bulls were to keep marketing post this deadline and if we learned that they weren't necessarily even shopping him around because they value him, let's say, like what sort of message would that send to you if the Bulls are really in on a player like Larry Markkinen? Well, as I said before, I think it would cause me to question a little bit the basketball knowledge because Lowry has value where he's at. And as you mentioned with Kobe and Wendell, okay, they've been kind of up and down, right? A lot of people are disappointed in in all three of these guys right now. But Kobe and Wendell are making $5.5 million a year. And and Wendell's going to make like $7 million next year. And Kobe's going to make $7 million next year. You've got time to make that decision and I think the longer that Kobe and Wendell are in a system with Billy Donovan and, uh, you know, they had half a season of competent coaching in their entire career. And same with Lowry, right? So at some point, I don't think you should give up on guys that are like 21 years old or even Lowry. I don't think you should give up on a 23-year-old. He's got these skills. You see it every once in a while. Laro and I talked about it on our show on Saturday. You see these flashes from Lowry where he gets in the post and punishes guys. Tonight against the Jazz, I thought he had a couple of nice drives. He, you know, powered against Gobert once. Gobert almost blocked it or maybe did block it but still went in. He's got these flashes, but as you mentioned, the time is running out on his contract. That's the real issue. So if they have to make a decision, if they don't move him, it signals to me either, A, that they really do value him or are going to match, or that they didn't get the type of value back that they thought they should in a trade. And so maybe they think, the market is suppressed enough where the value of that contract as a tradable asset down the line may be worth signing it versus whatever assets they could get at the deadline. Or they may just really like him. And if they really like him, that's fine. But we, we got to make other moves then because Lowry can work in a specific system. I think he can be very effective where you've got a really fantastic point guard and some really good perimeter and interior defenders around him to kind of mask those deficiencies. But right now, this team doesn't have any of that. And so Lowry's getting exposed. Wendell's getting exposed. Kobe's getting exposed. I mean, you name it, you go down the line, this team has not functioned as a group effectively enough for long enough periods, you know, to justify paying him the type of money that he's going to want to have in the offseason. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. But I don't think I'd be out on AK like maybe some people would. But it would be a little disappointing, or at least I would question what their what their plan going forward is. Yeah, so again, I don't want to be too dramatic here, but um, if Larry is here post this deadline, uh, I'm I'm not out on AK. Let's say he would still have time, but I I'm very much out on Larry Markman at this point. I, I I don't know what else I need to see to 
to, 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 to change my opinion, I suppose. Like, I just feel the way I feel. Like, I've been long beating the drum that that first 15 or so games of his season that we saw this season was just a hot streak. It's seemingly proving to be that way because his last six games, well, they just haven't been good. I mean, the last six games for Larry Markman, 13.2 points per game, shooting 37.8% from the field, 29.3% from three. The majority of his offense comes from the three-point line at this point. I don't think his role has drastically changed from Boylan to Donovan in large part because I just view him as that type of player. And just from a defensive standpoint, I mean, you guys are sort of highlighted on your show when you do your uh, your breakdown from a clip point of view that, you know, he's just not he's just not there defensively and just not giving you anything else on offense either. I mean, one assist per game, not great. If you're averaging more turnovers than assists, that's not ideal. So, I don't know. I, I, there's nothing more for me to see from Larry at this point that is going to change my mind and... I don't know, I would be very concerned if he's here post the deadline. I mean, even if even if you can just get something of value back from him, I'm not expecting the world for something from Larry, but if you can just get something back for Larry, and I mean, his, his cap hold is $20.1 million in the offseason. I would argue that getting rid of Larry now, getting some sort of asset back, and using that cap space of $20 million to maybe go and get a Sadoransky-level player or a Thad Young-level player in during this offseason. Like, that's going to have more value to someone like Zach Levine, to Patrick Williams, to, the, to this team as a winning organization, let's say. That's going to have more value than, you know, bringing back Larry Markkinen on 16 $18, 20000000 million type contract per season. So, I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'd be completely out on AK because that would... That sounds very uh, reactionary and very uh, doggable nation, as my friend uh, C-Red Fred would say. So I don't want to be that reactionary, but I would be uh, very concerned if he's here post the deadline. But I don't know, moving away from Larry, let's talk about guys like Kobe, Sato, Wendell, Laro. I mean, we've already touched on the fact that, you know, guys like Kobe and Wendell, they have more time. But at the same time, these guys have recently just been benched. The team has signaled that they're... I guess, less interested in developing talent right now. They're trying to win games. At least that's what I've inferred based on this lineup change. But given that, given that these guys have gone to the bench, and I understand it is very early in their careers at the same time, but, you know, we're thinking about the timeline, Zach Levine's timeline. Like, that's what we should be thinking about. Like, so if if, if it means, like, trading Kobe White and a first-round pick or Wendell and a first-round pick or whatever it might be, to go and, you know, enter the enter the chase of someone like Aaron Gordon, who's seemingly available, probably is going to end up on a team like the Celtics, it appears. But, like, should the Bulls be putting these younger guys on the table? Yes, they've been, I guess, uh, I was going to say tortured, maybe that's too extreme, but they've gone through the ringer in terms of Jim Boylan's coaching. But uh, are we at the point where we should even be considering about de- developing these younger guys who don't necessarily project to be anything more than role players and just putting them on the table with whatever it needs to, whatever you need to put them on the table with to go and get players who fit the timeline of Zach Levine, guys like Lonzo, or even extending that thought out to someone like Aaron Gordon who hasn't been linked to the Bulls but is a name I would like to see be linked to the Bulls. I mean, where are we? Where are you at at least with guys like Kobe, Wendell, and uh, you know, in terms of your uh, in terms of your your willingness to see these guys be put on the block and ultimately traded, like where are you where are you sort of at on that situation? I'm at the point where you we have to give Zach a sign that we we bought we're buying into him um, and that we want him to be a part of this and we want to not just stay where we're at and that's and of course like like Chris mentioned we are we are showing some uh, improvement. And we're seeing some, uh, you know, good things happen going in the right direction. But I think for a guy that's 26, that is, I don't think he's at his peak yet. I think he still has maybe another level, maybe another level. Um, And I I think we need to get to the, uh, we need to show him, you know what, Zach, we we want you here and we're going to show you by doing this. And whatever that is, I'd be willing to move like a Kobe or Wendell or Lowry or whatever it takes to to show Zach that we're buying into his timeline and we want that to be here. We want him to be um, the guy that brings, along with someone else, some glory back to Chicago and all Bulls fans. So um, I'd be willing to do it. I mean, 
the thing is, is some people have to, some people have to understand like coaching. And again, I've never coached at the NBA level. So obviously I've never dealt with egos as big as that. I've never dealt with anything like that. But in terms of like um, dealing with players and their confidence levels, coaching has a lot to do. It's not just X's and O's. It's not, it's not dealing with media, not just dealing with media, but it's also knowing your players, knowing what they can take, what type of coaching they can take, what's going to hurt them, what's going to what's going to bring them up. That the, Billy is with them every single day of uh, of their, you know, young careers at the moment right now. So, he knows what they can take and what they can't. Um so I don't think I really feel like Wendell there's another level to him, but there I don't know where this this thing came where it's like it's bad if you need help being a better player or if if you need to depend on another player to be good like that is completely false like i mean tyson chandler like all these other these i could go down a line of good players that needed a good point guard or needed another player that could do the dirty work they weren't good at but help them just focus on one point of their game that they were really good at that could help a team win like Wendell needs a point guard that understands when he's open, when to throw a lob, when to throw him a bounce pass, when to give him a, a chest pass, like to know when to to get him the ball, you know, not how to set up set screens up so he doesn't get called for moving screens all the time. Like people don't notice that. Like Wendell gets those tiki tack fouls of setting screens that are very frustrating, but it's also because you're Kobe's and, and sometimes Zach. They get so eager to get off that screen, and they don't allow Wendell to set it. And then they, they, you know, they're blowing the whistle, and now he's going all the way because he's getting an offensive foul. You know, and Kobe, um, I've I was an optimistic person about Kobe, and I don't want to say it like I'm just totally off the the deep end on Kobe, but I'm thinking very, <laughs> I'm probably like on an on the lead, you know, with like. <laughs> Jump, Lara. You know, Jump. you know when Mufasa was looking up and Scar was right there. Like I'm right there. Like I'm literally like, you know, Scar's got his foot up and he's about to lift my arm off. Like, and I'm just, I'm right there with Kobe. And Kobe is frustrating because like he was supposed to be this this score in in being able to to score in like bunches, and he just it's so inconsistent, man. And I'm I'm like and to go back to the original point, it, I'm I'm willing to put anybody in the deal in order to let Zach know that we're serious as an organization and going forward. Yeah, that's that's, that's all, all, all fair, all fair and good. It is a bit graphic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it got uh, it was a dark analogy that you drew there, uh, Larry. But at the same time, I kind of was <laughs> listening to that, and maybe this is a, a, a subtle inside joke that maybe some of the listeners listeners won't understand. But I kind of felt like throughout that uh, soliloquy that you were just going on there, you would kind of had our friend Vincent Wong in mind. That, that's that's kind of what it felt like. <laughs> Again, the, most of the listeners won't understand that, but uh, shout out to Vincent if he's listening. Uh, we were probably subtweeting you in that conversation just then. But um, I, I guess the more I think about this, and like I, the, we can talk about making trades, doing all this at the deadline, doing this this and that, but even if they do certain things, like, like I read off the next 10 games that they've got coming up, and 10 games is pretty significant given that they've only got 30-odd games left in the season. I mean, Chris, even like if they do something at the deadline, maybe it's just a lateral move, maybe it's Maybe it's a swing and a move for Lonzo or, you know, I don't know what else it may be, but, you know, trading out one player or two. Like, maybe you trade out Larry and Kobe, you bring in Lonzo and Player X, whatever it might be. Maybe that, that improves the team by 5, 10, 15%, but given that their schedule coming up is that is quite difficult, like, is it even going to matter for this season, I guess is my point. Like, is it going to materially change where this season is going or... Look, I'm certainly not someone that wants to play the tanking game. I'm not a fave for Cade type guy, but given where this season is sort of maybe going for the Bulls more naturally, like, I don't know, like, is any change that they do at the deadline going to materially matter, I guess? Maybe not for the short term. I mean, it could, but as you mentioned, that schedule gets real tough. And if we're going by our current track record, you can cross off any team with a winning record as a guaranteed loss for the Bulls right now. That yeah. They're just going to lose all those games unless mm-hmm. something changes. And 
as I mentioned before, I'm not sure you can really find something at the deadline, even if you got Lonzo, by the way, whose price is skyrocketing by the day, it seems. I mean, mm-hmm. you see some of the the things that are supposedly being offered for him, and I don't know, it's it's a whole lot, and that's before you have to pay him $20-plus million a year. Now, he may be worth it, but it's it's getting like a dicier prospect every day for me to, to think about getting Lonzo on this team between the price it would get to trade him and then to pay him. But it's kind of as Laro mentioned, you really want to signal to Zach that you're behind him, that you want to build around him. Don't make the same mistake with Zach that you made with Jimmy Butler. And I still maintain that Jimmy Butler uh, is is and was a, you know a better all-around player. I don't think that's really too much in question. And I think Jimmy has the creator skills to really take you to a championship-level team, as we've already seen from him last year. And this year, as he's coming back, he's, he's doing the same thing. But what Garpax did was sell sell on that vision and not give it a chance. And I think with Zach, who came here thinking he was going to be the face of the franchise, I think you got to give him that chance. And I don't see another path. As you said, I mean, we could do the fade for Kate thing, but do we really want to go back down the same path and hope that we get one of those top picks? Because we may not get Cade. We may get pick seven again, and that's gone really well for us so far. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's it's too depressing, and I think I think Bulls fans are ready for competency. Even if we're not championship or bust, we want competency. So to answer your question, I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference for this season and the rest of this season. It may, but I think it could make a big difference starting in the off season and for next year and the direction going forward. It'll give the team an identity going forward. That's, that's what a, a trade at the deadline could do for us. Yeah, I think that's all good and fair, and I I certainly take your point on that. Now, maybe we can divert away from the deadline, because ultimately, you know, we can bang on about what it is, and who the hell knows, by the time this podcast is up and released and people are listening to it, maybe the Bulls have made a move. Um, Probably not, but maybe they have. So maybe we can divert away from the deadline. We'll know in the coming days, ultimately, what happens. And, uh, you know, I'll be talking about it. You guys will be talking about it on Bulls 101. Let's see what happens. But... I, I, the last thing I want to talk about is Billy Donovan and his coaching. And I kind of feel bad for always bringing this up on Twitter and maybe even on this show. I've been, I've been banging on about this on the show as well. Like he, he's clearly, he's been significantly better than Jim Boylan. He's been a godsend from that standpoint. He, he's just listening to the dude talk is, uh, it's kind of like basketball porn, I guess, because he just, you know, the things he says, it just makes you smarter listening to the guy. And he's just, and the way he says it as well, the way he delivers it, he's very, um, I don't know, I could just listen to him talk basketball all day, I suppose. You got but, this on that. <laughs> the past. have <laughs> <laughs> been on a roll. We've been on a roll, brother. Uh, this, this we all have our own fetish. PG 13. <laughs> Look, we're all into our own thing, I, I guess. Like, you know, I could, I could listen to Billy Donovan talk about basketball all day. That's 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 what gets me going. It's that accent but, that does it for you, right? It's the accent. Yeah, that New York accent. Is it a New York accent? Is that where he's from? Kind of yeah, I like think that. he's from around there somewhere. Yeah, he's from New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just it's my thing. It's my thing. But um, despite me loving the way he talks. Some of the things he's doing on court lately has irritated me. And, you know, I've been on this podcast, generally on, the, on those solo pods that I do, where I'm, I'm sort of just uh, ranting and raving and wondering why certain things are happening. And, but given I've got you two guys on the show, I thought I'd bounce this off you and just get your take on it, just as a bit of a sense check, just to make sure I'm maybe not a raving lunatic. Maybe I am. <laughs> Happy for you guys to tell me so. But when I get the sense... Yeah, exactly. One of both. Maybe maybe both is true. But I don't know. There's just been some rotational choices that I just... Maybe maybe my frustration with the team would generally is filtering into this conversation now where I'm getting a little bit annoyed with Billy's choice from a rotational standpoint, which maybe I shouldn't because he's dealing with a flawed roster, obviously. He's, he doesn't... He does, he doesn't have a lot of great choices. Like that, that, that caveat is true. Obviously, that is that is most certainly true. But at the same time, like he just does a few things that bother me to the point where I'm like, "What are you doing, Billy?" Like an example of that is uh, like in this Jazz game when he put out uh, Larry Markkinen and Luke Cornett, which I understand the logic behind it. Like you, you put out someone like Luke Cornett to hopefully draw out Rudy Gobert away from the paint. Like I get it in theory, but where it sort of breaks down immediately is Luke Cornett is just 
a very bad basketball player and can't really shoot the basketball anyway. And even if he is open at the three-point line, teams are not going to defend it because it's Luke freaking Cornette. So with that caveat in mind, like, am I being too harsh when I go after Billy for some of these rotational choices? Like the Luke Cornette thing, playing Denzel Valentine and Archie Diakono with Kobe White, in an all-bench unit at times, like, that frustrates me as well. Like, am I being too harsh? Am I being too impatient? Um, am I being a little too ridiculous? Tell me. I mean, well, what are your thoughts on Billy's rotation, Larry? I mean, yeah, tell me if I'm being wrong here. I mean, maybe I am, but it's, it's driving me nuts. Um, well, now that we're off the uh, basketball porn, but the, the thing <laughs> is, right, so what I see, like, when I look at the game and I see rotations like that, I see frustration from a coach. And what I mean by that is it's like he had his rotation. He had guys that he trusted. He had a rotation that he liked. And now things have like kind of like fall, started to fall apart and he's lost trust in those rotations. And now he's like trying his best to find some type of rhythm. He's trying to, you know, maybe Luke is like I said, Luke is a bad basketball player. And I, I agree. I ain't nothing much else I can say about that. But, like, at some point, like, you look down the bench, you're like, okay, I don't want to start Luke. All right, Luke, come on. Luke, let's let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. We, you know, They ain't doing nothing. Let's see what you got. You know, it, it, it gets to that point where it's like, okay, you know what? We got to try something. And I can't play these starters, 40, all of them 48 minutes. I got to try something. DG, come on, let's see what you got. You know, like. It's frustration, but then you flip it onto like the fan side and guys like us where we watch the game and we get frustrated over things like that. It's totally I, I don't think you're wrong by it because it's a great observation. I mean these 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 lineups have been bad, and you know no, even though somebody can shoot the three, doesn't mean they they're gonna make the three. And if you look at Luke and you see his numbers. You know, you see a big seven-footer that can stretch the floor, but he doesn't make it anywhere near consistently consistently enough for Rudy to be like, oh, shit, I got to get out there. You know, like, it's just nobody's going to be afraid of Luke Cornett. So I totally agree, and I don't think you're wrong by it. I, I, I think it's it's an observation that is completely true. These These rotations that he's putting out there, these lineups that he's putting out there, they're not strong. They're not conducive to winning. And, um... I mean, but again, I, I just feel like that's just frustration on his part. Like he's just, he's at a point where he doesn't believe in some of these guys giving them good minutes. So he's willing to try anybody at this point. Yeah, I think that's all fair. And look, that, that, that certainly can be true. And, and look, to be clear, like on the list of, you know, bad things that are happening with Chicago Bulls basketball, Billy Donovan's rotation is not maybe in the top 10. And it's certainly not determining, you know, the result of this season, let's say. But I guess I'm just projecting forward to maybe when this team is better. Like, is this rotational thing going to be something that we need to keep an eye on with Billy Donovan? I I, I don't know. But like, right. even with a flawed roster, to me, to my mind at least, or to my eyes, like, there's just some things that just don't make sense. Like, instead of playing like Kobe, Denzel, and Anarchy Diakono, you know, however many minutes it may be together, like three to five minutes, whatever that stretch is, can can you just manipulate your rotation a little bit more? to the point where you've always got one of Sato or, or, and Zach on there, or if it's not, you know, uh, Sato and Zach, you've got one of Zach and Thad on the court the entire time. Like, can you do things like that? Rather than going to 10 or 11 guys, can you keep the rotation at 9 or, or whatever it may be? Like, they're little things, they're small things. Maybe I'm being a little bit pedantic, but uh, they're, they're the things that are, I guess, starting to annoy me a little bit because, like, Billy was talking about self-inflicted wounds the other day, but post-game, I can't remember which game it was. It may have been after the Nuggets game, like that feels when it was most relevant. So I'll say it was after that game, but like some of these rotational choices as well are, I will say, self-inflicted wounds. And I'll come back to the Cornet one because we mentioned Daniel Gafford, and I'm not the biggest Gafford guy, but he had a really good game against the Pistons was really good for Wendell when Wendell went out injured with when Otto, you know, seemingly just smashed him in the face because Wendell just, for whatever reason, Wendell's teammates have it out for him. But, like, Gafford was good against the Pistons. So, like, why go to Cornette in that situation instead of Gafford, who literally 24 hours before was really good for you? Again, I understand the logic, but, like like we said, Cornette sucks. He's not going <laughs> to draw Gobert out of the paint. So, like, I understand the theory, but it's just, was never going to work in practical sense. So, again, 
I don't know, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh, but maybe Chris the Optimist um, can uh, set me back on my uh, – <laughs> set, me, set me back in the ways and maybe talk me away from this nonsense that I'm spewing out here, Chris. Just because you're a good coach doesn't mean you're immune from criticism and you're not perfect. And, and Billy Donovan has a reputation, and he had this in OKC, where he would try different things during the game, during the regular season. And as Laro mentioned, I, I think he makes a great point here that that, that sort of sporadic lineup – change and people that are randomly coming in and out shows a level of distrust with what's currently happening that he wants to throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Now, as you guys have mentioned, I think anyone could tell you that Lowry and Cornette with Archie Akino and Denzel and Kobe on the floor is not going to stick, but under any circumstance, but you know, you, you never know. And I think, Something that's interesting is coaches, and, and Billy Donovan has mentioned this many times, he likes guys to stay ready. And so if he randomly pulls guys like Felicio or Cornette or Arch out of the rotation sometimes or into the rotation, he's done it with Denzel as well this year. He's done it with Gafford. Keeps people on their toes. It keeps you ready because you know that at any moment he could he could pull you into the game and try something and you got to show what you got like like Daniel Gafford did against the Pistons, you know, Wendell went out and Gafford came in and gave that great energy. And he said after the game that, you know, when he started, he felt like he maybe had taken it for granted. And so I think it helps your team's mental preparedness to, to have them be ready. Right. Cause if you're Felicio and you're thinking, I'm never going to see the floor, then maybe you're not as motivated to, to do that. Or if you're a guy like, um, you know, Kobe or Wendell or someone who's in the rotation and you're taking it for granted, you know, Billy Donovan can pull a move on you. And like Lowry did, like he did with Lowry tonight, he took Lowry out for basically the entire, you know, half of the half of the third quarter and half of the fourth, like basically an entire quarter of basketball because he just wasn't bringing it the way he wanted him to. So I, I, I think it's perfectly fair to criticize the rotations because I honestly thought in that beginning of the second quarter when he had that lineup, the game was lost at that point. And the rest of the night, the Bulls kind of played the Jazz even as far as points. It kind of stayed right around 20 points down. But they got 20 points down because of that lineup at the end of the first and the beginning of the second quarter. And so, you know, you can put that on Billy Donovan. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, you're trying to put a Band-Aid on cancer. Like The, the symptoms that are being shown here, you know, you can't fix them with, with a lineup rotation. You can't just blame Billy Donovan for for those things, they're, they're emblematic of, of a lo- much larger problem, and that's he doesn't have enough guys that he can rely on to consistently play basketball on a nightly basis in, in those types of situations. So, you know, it just goes back to the, the first part of this, which is, you know, what are we going to do about this? Because we, we clearly are in a rut where we can't beat these great teams. We see the flashes, but the consistency, it just hasn't been there this year so far. Yeah, all good points. I mean, that that is certainly true, and and maybe I'm just picking on you know. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like he doesn't he doesn't have a whole bunch of great options. I mean, he's taken Thad and Sato out of that second unit, put it into the starting unit. The starters are performing better due to that due to that fact. You know, you put more mature, experienced, ready-made sort of NBA players into that starting lineup. Lo and behold, the starting lineup looks a lot better. But now you're taking those guys out of the bench. The bench looks crappy, so I, I certainly take your point. And yeah, I, it, I guess I'm just dealing with it or trying to make the best of a very imperfect situation. But like I said, it's it's one minor complaint that I have. It's for whatever reason, rotational stuff is something that I just gravitate towards towards as a basketball fan. I don't know why, but um, it, it's something that irritates me at times. But uh, it's certainly something that annoyed me a lot with Jim Boyle, and it's starting to creep in with uh, Billy Donovan. But maybe I just needed a bit of a reality check. And um, you're right, the lineups, the, well, this rotation is well, it can be sucky at times, just due to the fact that this roster is um, a dog's breakfast at times. So maybe, hopefully, that trade uh, that that changes at the trade deadline. But obviously, we will find out in the coming days. But look, I don't want to keep you guys any longer. You've you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate getting you both on the show um, to help me talk Bulls basketball. But more importantly, I very much appreciate the fact that you guys have started your own show. Like I said from the top, I think you guys are doing something that not a lot of other Bulls podcasters are. You've found a lane or a niche that I think you guys should be continuing to explore. And, um, yeah, I'm just happy to see two of my mates get together and create something cool. So I appreciate you guys coming on Bulls HQ and sharing your thoughts before you get away. 
please feel free to plug your show, plug your Twitter, all that good stuff where Bulls fans can go and uh, follow you online and catch the podcast, catch your ramblings, etc. on on Twitter and those sorts of things. So please uh, feel free to plug away. Um, Before we do that, can we just shout out our brother C C Red Fred and his boy Denzel tonight? Um, Well, uh, do do we have to give Fred any more more air time? Larry, you're never going to get invited back to this podcast if you keep on the direction you're going. Hey, go on, go on. Give give Fred some love, I suppose. 16 minutes, two points, 0 for 4 from the floor, 0 for 4 from (laughs) 3, one rebound, one assist, one turnover. And again, 16 minutes, but he was negative 23 plus minus. Hey, if I knew you were going to trash Denzel and then by proxy trash said C Red Fred, we could have done an entire ten minute segment <laughs> on that for a while. So um, yeah, that, that's good. He's he's definitely not going to follow you. I mean, well, I was just giving you an opportunity to plug you guys, but Fred is definitely not going to be plugging you after him. Let, let me let me salvage this real quick. Denzel has been Denzel has been a competent rotation player this year. No, he no, has, no he has, sorry, he okay, has I'm his moment, Mike. Uh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll plug the show for for a minute here. Um, so the reason Larry and I made Bulls One on One is is as you mentioned, Mark. I really feel like the niche of more in depth basketball analysis is kind of a rare thing to find nowadays in a podcast or show form. And what we really wanted to do is not just tell you and give opinions and takes or whatever, but show you with with the actual data, with actual film breakdown, what's happening on the court why the coaches are doing certain things, why the players are doing certain things. And I think it'll give everybody a chance to appreciate basketball at a deeper level and really understand what's going on and and identify the problems that are plaguing this team. I don't think it's as dire as many of us are are prone to think it is. But um, if you guys want to check us out, we're on every Saturday night at a, at a – I forget the time, 11 p.m. Central. It's different. I'm on Pacific time. So it's 11 p.m. Central time. You can catch us at Bulls 101 Podcast. You can. It's on the Barroom Network. That's at Bears Barroom on Twitter. They'll post the show. You can watch it live from Twitter. You can watch it live from YouTube. You can comment. We, we try and respond to comments. We put them up on the, on the site, you know, and, and respond in real time. So it's it's been really fun for, for me and Lero. I know we've really enjoyed it. I hope the the people that watch it really enjoy it as well. I I know I've learned a whole lot of, more about basketball and about the Bulls since we started, and we've got great guests like Mark. I know you filled in for Laro uh, last week, and we had Ryan Borhan this week, and we've got more guests coming up, so we're really excited about it. Um, you guys can give us a follow. My my Twitter handle is at KLA Hoops, and Laro is at underscore Laro Hoops. So you can get more of Laro's Kobe hate takes. <laughs> as many as you would like. I'm just kidding. Don't be out on the young guys, Laro. Come on. Come on. They got time. They got, they got time. time. Yeah, but the time. We gotta we, we gotta we gotta go on with Zach's time now, you know? So we'll see what happens. We'll see. <laughs> My personal mission is to corrupt Laro and make him as uh, as negative and dejected as I am. So um <laughs> I, I tried doing that with Chris, but you seem unbreakable, but uh <laughs> maybe there's some scope to do that with Laro, so we'll see. But um yeah, just quietly guys, I think the second episode of Bulls one oh one was probably the best that you guys have done, to be honest wow. with you. So um <laughs> Yeah, you guys should check that one out. <laughs> just quietly, I might have. Oh <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, enough good natured ribbing. Uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming on, and um, this was much more fun for me. It's um, I, I always appreciate having guests on, particularly after rough games like this. Uh, we, we get the opportunity to laugh and uh, commiserate. Let's say when uh, the Bulls are bad, it's it's much better than um, me just being on the mic by myself. So I appreciate you guys coming on, sharing your thoughts and opinions. Very fun, and like like the guy said, hit them up wherever you find basically any Bulls podcast. Go follow the guys, get on Twitter, follow them on there, and whilst you're doing that, do the same for me as well uh, at MK Hoops on Twitter at Bulls H. Coupon. If you want to be part of the Bulls Discord forum, come do that. Send me a DM on Twitter. We'll give you the link to come be part of that. There's almost 200 of us up in the uh, the Bulls HQ Discord. So if you want to be part of it, send me a DM. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls at HQ. Again, thanks to Laro and to Chris. We'll be back post-deadline to talk about what the Bulls 
have done or maybe haven't done post the deadline. That'll be very interesting to discuss. It's going to be a fun couple of days to be a basketball fan, but obviously it's from a Bulls perspective, it's going to be very intriguing to see what they do. But uh, over to AK now. That's all we can do as fans. We can posit and get on the trade machine, come up with our own ideas, but ultimately he's the one um, he's the one executing them. So let's see what, he, what he's got in store for us. But uh, in terms of Bulls HQ, we're done here. Again, thanks to Lara and Chris. We'll be back post the deadline. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.